Thank you for joining us for the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue our way through the book of James. Good morning. Uh, so excited to be here and share this with you. I tried to get fired the last time they let me speak. It didn't work. So here we go again. Um, it's very exciting to study a passage and understand the responsibility of teaching that passage. I highly encourage it <laughs> for you to study with that sort of uh, intensity, um, especially as we get into this, you'll understand that even more. And we, uh, a lot of great stuff inside of this. There's no way I can hit all of it. We could spend multiple days on single passages, but we are going to give it our best. So if you're with me, let's pray and we will dive in. Father God, my prayer for us this morning, Lord, is that we would lean in, God, with an anticipation, Father, of what you would want to speak to us, God. Guide my words, Father. Lord, the Holy Spirit, guide me, Father, as we move through this passage, Father. Would the Holy Spirit dwell in each one of these seats, Father, as we lean in, God, longing to know you better, Father, what it means to follow you, Father, and allow us to experience real introspection, Father, on how we navigate through this life. Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in 2012, uh, when we moved out here to be part of this church, my daughter Natalie, who's the youngest of my two daughters, was five years old, pretty close to six. And that's a pretty fun age, right? You're like through potty training and things like that, and they're just exploring the world, and, and you're having legitimate conversations and all of this. And we're driving down 316 towards I-85, uh, kind of getting to know our area because we were, came from Marietta. This is all brand new for us. We didn't know where stuff was. And we're stuck on 316 for a moment behind one of the lights that they're slowly getting rid of out there. Um, and from the back seat, from that little booster seat, I hear my daughter go, Jesus, as if she just stubbed her toe or saw something horrific. And Lisa and I looked at each other and married couples understand that you can kind of have like a legitimately long conversation in a two second stare. Like what just happened? She says to me with her eyes, did you teach our daughter to say the Lord's name in vain? And I feel like with my eyes, I said, no, it was probably that older kid that we have back there, you know? Like, oh, no, she's going to turn out to be one of these preacher kids we hear about, you know, who just goes wild, you know, your mind goes crazy. Because parenting's crazy. You don't know. You, when I was growing up, I thought my parents had all the answers. They read some manual, and they just handled it. But as soon as I became a parent, I realized they were making up all that stuff <laughs> as they went along. And so immediately, I turn around, and I'm like... Natalie, you can't say that, you know? And she's looking at me very confused. And I'm like, we don't, you know, we just don't say his name like that. And I'm trying to explain deep theological thoughts to her. And she's just looking at me like, why am I in trouble right now? I don't understand. And I feel my eight-year-old on the other side go, dad, 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 stop. She points out the window and there's a giant yellow billboard that says, Jesus. <laughs> my daughter was reading, Right? My first instinct was, I've been trying to teach this kid to do the right things, and I'm failing, right? I'm trying to tame her. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like say, hey, this is how you're polite, and this is how you navigate the world, and people want to be around you if, you if you're nice to them, and things like that. And all of a sudden, I thought I had failed, but it turned into laughter, thankfully, right? And the kid is hilarious to this day. She was not trying to be funny. 
I legitimately confused her, but it's a memory that we go back to often when we go down by there because it's still there. Giant billboard, Jesus, right? She'll still read it every once in a while and laugh at me at 15 years old, right? So as we exit James 2, you feel like James is trying to rally in some people. He's like, there's some chaos here. Let's come together, right? If you say this is what you believe in, you say this is your faith, your actions are going to show that, as Dustin dove into last week, right? Your life will be evidenced by your faith. Belief is action. As we move into James 3, he starts saying how you speak, what you say, is evidence of your faith as well. Okay? He says your tongue is basically a weapon. It can absolutely destroy or it can bless. And if you don't tame it, if you don't grow up in your faith, it's like handing a weapon to a child without any instruction. Very easy to accidentally kill somebody, but you probably never will protect anybody with it. So let's jump in real quick. There's a lot here. We're going to do our best. James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, you, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a fun passage to read when you get to teach about it. Right? You have to understand that culturally, like the equivalent of your kid growing up to be like a doctor of a, or a lawyer, then it was to be the rabbi. People wanted to be teachers. And then you have this collision course of Jesus in a New Testament life and a new way of thinking and people being like, I, I could teach this. Right? And saying, you don't want people putting that kind of weight on your words. You don't want the responsibility of what that means. You know, Drew here in the front row, he's one of my good friends. We would do some woodworking together. He's a great woodworker. I'm a novice. When he tells me how to do something, I put intense weight on his words because it means my safety in making something good, right? He has a expertise in that area, right? And so I, for the same thing, hey, don't, you know, not all should be teachers. You're not all called to it. You're going to be held to account. Let me tell you, I've been a worship pastor, well, worship leader, then worship pastor for two and a half decades, which makes me old, um, especially for this job, but it's a, it's a blessing for sure. And I remember early on, I had great mentors who told me, don't forget, you're singing and teaching people theology through those songs. And you might be the only Bible reading they get might be the songs that you sing to them. So I take great responsibility in the songs that we pick, the lyrics I ask you to sing, because I'm standing up here saying, hey, sing this with me. I'm going to put it in your brain. I'm shaping your view of God. I say, I am under a stricter guidance by the Lord because I am put as your worship pastor. I've been accused of thinking about lyrics too much. To be honest, I have people who say, God, you got to relax about that. But they don't have to deal with that extra strictness. I do. I get to account for it. In the state of worship right now, it's uh, become a commodity. It's a market, which if that doesn't make you cringe a little bit, it does me, and I deal with it, right? There's a huge churches who are putting out a ton of music. There's a church that we do music from that I think... I heard made $19 million in 2020 just off their music, okay? 
Is that horrible in itself? It's not, but we do have to watch the intentions get skewed when I'm trying to keep a machine moving like that. I have to produce, I have to make these things happen. So we, Teresa and I, Lisa and I, we comb through lyrics and say, are we okay teaching our people this? Are we okay letting these lyrics rest on our people? So I ask a couple of questions anytime a song is brought to me. I say, is the song biblically accurate in context of that biblical concept that we're singing about? Right? That seems simple. But often it's not. You'll be surprised. Okay? Is is it worship appropriate? And this is a question of direction because worship songs and praise music come in two directions. This is a little worship education for you inside of James. Okay? It's either horizontal, meaning we are proclaiming the goodness of God together to remind us and encourage us together together. In Africa, they would say that is praise music horizontally. Vertical worship is when we're singing directly to God. When we say, you, Lord, it's like a posture of prayer. These are the two levels of worship, pretty much anything outside. of Plenty of Christian music that is not worship. And that's okay. It serves its purpose, can inspire you and other things. What we do up here is worship. And lastly, will it provoke our people here at the cross to meet God? These are the three questions I deal with. Now, this gets confusing sometimes and complicated because on occasion, a song is so good. We just love it. And there's like one little problem area for me. And I'll have people hitting up the request line. That's not a real thing. Don't ask me what the number is. They'll just be coming up to me and saying like, like, hey, when are you going to play this? And I don't really want to get into all this theological debate. I'm just, just give me a little bit. Okay i got to figure out something. And so I'll alter a lyric so that I can stand up here and sing it and be honest with you and feel okay about you singing it back to me where I don't have to go back later and be like, ooh, we shouldn't have done that. Because when I was early in this, I did that a lot. Why did I ever lead people to sing that? Okay, two real quick examples, and then we'll move on from this. Holy Water, which is a song we love here, right? Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. Very biblical idea. Okay, in the bridge, there was one word that bothered me, one word, and I wrestled over it for a month, which really taught me that maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am, because I swapped that one word, and I was totally good with it. So in the bridge, they say, I don't want to abuse your grace. I'm there with you. That is a beautiful thought. God, I need it every day. I want to raise my hand even higher. Yes. And then they say, It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. And I go, hmm, that's not accurate for me. There's so many aspects of God. In fact, biblically, it says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance, right? Your mercy and your faithfulness and your love. And honestly, even my own depravity that makes me want to change. This isn't a deep biblical concept. Nobody's leaving the church because I sang that word, but I'm taking deep responsibility for what I sing with you. Okay, other example. Graves into gardens that we just sung. Does anybody notice that we change a lyric in that? There's a line in the, third, in the first verse <laughs> that says, all my desires are now satisfied in your love. If you listen to it on the record or on the radio, that's what they say. When I heard that, I went, I can't sing that in front of my people. Multiple reasons. I'll give you three real quick. This is the reason people leave the church. They come in and they say, I'm going to meet Jesus and all of this junk that I've done, I'm going to be totally satisfied and it's not going to be easy. All my desires will be met there. And the fact is, God isn't meant to meet all your desires. 
Adam, or God looks at Adam in the garden and says, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to send you a partner, somebody to do life with. God's not meant to meet the desires I have that my wife is supposed to meet for me. And maybe the most radical of all of these is, I, you know, I lead worship every quarter or so for recovery. And those people up there, I know them well. They battle their desires that kept them in chains. It's part of their worship to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I can't sing that line up here. So we changed it to something that was a much harder change. That is totally different. It's like all of my life, I, I realize that all of my life I've been looking for you, searching for you. I know my own lyrics, apparently. But we just change it because we say we're going to take this responsibility of what we're teaching you, how we're shaping your view of God. And I'm not saying the people who wrote that are bad or anything like that. I'm looking at my responsibility in this towards you. Follow me? Good. All right. Moving on. Now we get into some, some craziness. All right. So that was verse one. We have 12, but we're going to whip through with them all right now. Okay, here we go. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Man, when you, I hear something like that, I'm like, perfect? What are you asking me to do then? Okay, don't get caught up on perfect. What he's saying to you is he's showing great maturity. He has moved through this. He understands that his words reflect his heart. Okay. He's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Okay, you see him lay this out and say, your tongue is powerful. You guys aren't talking to each other well. Then as we move into the next verse, verse 6, you almost feel a little bit of anger move up in him. How are we treating each other? He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You think he's trying to make a point? <laughs> coming hard. You sense his frustration. He says, with it, we bless our Lord, the Father. And with it, we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know, as I was getting into this, I was fascinated by how many times I feel like the Bible says, hey, shut your mouth. Watch what you say. You know, early in James, we say, hey, be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? 
In Psalm 141, it says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. In Proverbs 21, 23, it says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And in the words of our Lord Jesus, Matthew 12, 34 through 36, for, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. As I prepared, I realized I could just read scripture the whole time. I could go through and fill probably 45 minutes just reading you scripture about saying, watch what you say. Watch what you say, it matters. So you would think with all of this guidance that we would have it down, or at least we would be a people who really attempt to tame what we say, but almost in the opposite direction. And I have some theories on why this is true. It almost seems like one of the more acceptable sins among modern evangelical Christians. We battle so many other outside things, addiction and pornography and all of this other stuff that poisons our world, guarding what we say seems so minor. And you hear James say, you bridle your tongue, you can guide the whole body. I mean, every person in this room can remember something that was said about them that hurt them badly. It could be 20 years ago, you might remember what you were wearing. It hurt so bad. It's such, it can cause such problems. And we spend little time looking at it. And it's easy for me as I talk to you to really consider those people who hurt you, who you say, man, they weren't acting like Christians. But I need you to reflect on you because if we can get this together, because Lord knows I reflected on me and I'm going to give you some of that. Because ultimately we have a choice on whether we use our tongue to, to bless the Lord to bless the people around us, to encourage them, or to curse those made in his image, just like it says in verse 9. How do we hurt people? Some of this is easy, right? You can think about vindictive things that were said, but honestly, it's subtle sometimes, right? And it is very simple. It's through discouragement, being passive-aggressive towards people around you, deep sarcasm, I've had to fight that in me. Gossip, slander, even that word coming out of your mouth just feels dirty, slander. How do we lift each other up? How do we point people towards the Lord when this infects our language, right? I'm a new creation. I don't get blackout drunk on the weekends anymore. Not like that guy over there, right? I'm born again, right? I don't sleep around. God saved me, unlike you know who. Honestly, that's like over-exaggerated. It's much more subtle than that. In the Christian community, it's, hey, will you pray for her? Here's what's happening. You lay out all their dirty laundry. You had no right to do it. And you probably don't even know the whole story. And all of a sudden, rumors persist. I mean, you know, high school is the microcosm of the little Petri dish of seeing um, maybe ditch was a better word. 
but we'll go, we'll go with dish. Petri dish of like, you saw this happen, right? You saw somebody get a nickname in middle school and it lasted through high school over some lie. You can destroy someone's reputation with a sentence much easier than kill them with a sword. And how we drive them away from the church. Right? You know, southern grandmas have a really unique way to tiptoe around gossip. I don't know what you're thinking. You about to hit grandmas? I am. I ain't scared. A little scared. I'm a little scared. Okay. Um, they, may, they say a little phrase, a little disclaimer, after they drop some gossip on somebody. You know what it is? Bless their heart. Bless their heart. Right? It makes everything okay. It's like somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, no offense, but... Blah. You can't be offended. I said no offense. Right? Like that makes it okay. See, it's interesting. We live in um, what's called an honor culture. Okay? Where we, like, you know, the whole... Uh, pistols and all the dueling kind of thing, that, that's already in our heritage, right? If you've done me wrong, it's okay for me to come back at you. And so as Christians, we often sit with our people and we say, hey, it's okay that you feel like that because they, they did you wrong, right? It's okay that you start saying those things about them because this is fairness. They beat you up, let's beat them up together, okay? Just with your words, If, I'm telling you, you don't want fairness. Your relationship with God is not based on fairness. That This problem is a contradiction to the gospel because you are justified by unjust acts. An innocent man was hung on a cross for the guilty. That ain't fair. You were brought to life through torture and death. That equation doesn't seem to work. So how we sit with somebody who hurts must be different because the way that we are loved is different. It's otherworldly. We need to encourage one another. We need to say, you can do it. Let's go. You can live a life that is very difficult to live. Because it's opposite even but at least has friction against the culture that you live in. In Hebrews, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I wanna see you win. I want to see you win. I understand my own depravity and that God reached down inside that depravity and said, hey, I love you. I'm going to wash you clean. And you're going to screw this up again. I know. I know you are. But we're going to keep doing this. Can we love each other that way? Honestly, in, in, the, in the flesh, we can't. But God is asking us to live in the spirit. The toxic ways that we use our speech are contradictory to the gospel that we say we hold dear. I'll tell you a quick story. A friend of mine was a missionary in West Africa for 10 years. And where he lived in the neighborhood where he was, every house had like a seven foot, um, 
cinder block wall around it, like a gate. And when they'd come in and out, you know, they'd honk their horn and they'd come in. One night, they'd been there about nine years. His wife and daughter are coming home. They honk the horn, they open the gate. They didn't realize a car was following them, pulls in right behind them inside the gate. Five men get out of that car with four shotguns and a machete. They grab the mom and the daughter, put the, the daughter on the front porch with one man guarding her with a shotgun, brings her in with my longtime friend, puts the, his wife and him on their knees in their bedroom while a man with a machete guards them, the men ransack the house. My buddy on the floor, who is not a coward, looks at this man and says, do you know who I am? He said, I'm a pastor in this city. I take care of this city. What are you doing? And the man holding the machete looks down at my buddy and says, I'm a Christian too. This is a true story. I hear you giggle because you go, how's that possible? And while with a guy with a machete over him, my buddy looks at him and says, you are not. Your life is evidence of the contrary. If you are a follower of Christ, you don't come in here and threaten my family that you're going to kill them and take my things. He said that he'd never said anything else to him. They took their stuff. They left. But this, so this is a contradiction, right? If I said, I'm a Christian pornographer, you'd go, that's not a thing. Those things are contradictory. But if I said, I'm a Christian gossip, you would say, I would never label myself that because it's very uncomfortable. Or if I'm a Christian slanderer, you'd say, I know that's contradictory, but I need to search myself and make sure I'm not doing that. We have to live it out. We got to walk it out. Okay? Understand in Galatians 5, 17, it says, the flesh is at war with the spirit. It's at war. Okay? I think when you read James 3, you realize he is saying, taming your tongue is incredibly difficult. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to be terrible at it. It's not, how do I, I don't want to be able to do 100 push-ups, so I have this plan on being able to do 100 push-ups. It's not a discipline like that. It's a, I need to continually submit to the spirit in my life, pressing my mind towards God pulling from the goodness in my heart, not from the evil. I'm going to fight the battle in this way. This is how it looks for me. I realize raising my kids um, that often my first reaction is not the right one. They would do something bad. I go, Tick! I'd react. I'd say something. Five minutes later, once my blood pressure went down and the blood left my head, I'd realize you're stupid. Stop reacting that way. So I really started praying into this. God, I want to react better. I want my initial reaction to be your reaction and not this sense to fight or whatever it is. We won't get into psychology. And slowly, as I thought that, I'd react poorly and I'd get a conviction. I'd feel like the Lord would say, I do feel like the Lord speaks to me with a small touch of sarcasm sometimes. Like, you think that was the right way to react? You think that honored me the way you did that? I'm like, Ugh. 
I hear you. And then my response is, God, would you forgive me for that? And he says, of course, it is forgiven. It's done right now. Walk it out. You do that enough, you start reacting the right way. You might still feel, I want to fight. But maybe the words stop coming out so fast. And it gets better and better. We're taming it. We're knocking it back. We want our prayer to be like the words of David saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, God. Consider a king praying that. He can say whatever he wants. He's the king. But his desire is to honor the Lord. You're not alone. Don't act like you're alone. Don't process like you're alone. Don't say, this is impossible. You can do it. We can get to a place where we're walking with the Spirit, where we're aware that He is with us. And sometimes you will get reprimanded. And that's okay. Accept it that you have a counselor who does life with you. It is a beautiful thing. So in James 4, which is in the future, they say, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that is sin. Somebody's going to dive way into that. But I will also say this, because you have the ability to bless and encourage with your mouth, if you know the right thing to say and you don't say it, it also is sin. And I'm going to give you an embarrassing example for me. A friend of mine put out a post several months ago talking about how him and his wife were getting divorced. This is a guy, I'm not like, I talk to him once every five years or something like that, but I'd view him as a spiritual mentor to me. He was older than me. He had taught me a bunch about the scripture and things like that. And at the time that he put that out, we were dealing with, as a staff, some moral failures in a couple areas from stuff that was going on with Ravi, if you know that stuff, we don't want to get into that, but, and then some other people who were good friends of ours who had made bad decisions, and I was beat up by it. And I saw that message go by, and I felt like the Lord said, hey, call him. And I, was, and I didn't. I was about to disclaimer it. I didn't. I wasn't sure I could take it. I thought it was going to waver me in some way. Both, I told my wife, I'm like, I, I should have called. I just don't know if I can take it if he messed this up. I don't know the story, but if he messed it up, it would just be one more domino in this thing. So I didn't. I was a coward. So this week, I had to call him about something else. I call him, and he, we catch up for a little bit, and I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, I don't know if you saw. I said, I did. And he starts telling me the story of heartbreak. He did mess it up. He tells me about it. Tells me how they worked to, to repair it. All of these things. And I'm just listening to him and listening to him. And I'm taking it in. And I'm going, how do you be here for this friend or whatever? And, and like, it's hard when you don't know what to say. And I'm leaning on the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, tell me, how do I help him in this area? It's been months, but he's clearly still hurting. Chaos with his kids who are adults. 
now, and I mean, there's chaos everywhere. And he says, you know what the hardest thing was for me? Nobody reached out to me. People who called me, their Christian brothers and sisters, my best friend, he, he was talking about somebody different, didn't reach out to me. You know why? Because <laughs> I'm a coward. The Lord said, hey, call that man. I know he's not, he's not expecting a call from you. Call him. Like, God, I don't know if I can take it. Well, you're trying to avoid some discomfort. You don't think I can handle you in that? You don't think I can walk you through that? I'm standing right here with you. Let's go. And so I said to this man, I need your forgiveness. Because uh, I felt conviction in that moment when I read that to call you and I didn't. I gave him here's why. Honestly, I even regret that. Because there's not a justification. I knew the right thing to do and I didn't do it. And after he forgave me without a second's thought. And we talk about what we needed to talk about. We get off the phone and I just got on my knees and said, Lord, I, I need your forgiveness for this. And guess what? He said, it's done. He said, it's done. He said, the nails that were driven in my hand for that is done. You're not alone. And see, this has far more to do, when we read all this, it has, we're talking about the tongue, but it's saying you're a new creation. You can't produce fresh and salt water. You can't be two things. You can't be divided. If you're a new creation, be it. Run after it. And we're not asking you to never screw up. We're asking you to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. That you say, God, I'm willing to move with you. So my ask to you is where do you need Holy Spirit intervention in your life, whether your tongue or anywhere else? Maybe it's your belief. Maybe it's your marriage. Because we get in a lot of trouble when we grab the reins and say, Lord, I'm going to grab this. I'm, I'm, I can handle it. Surrender today. Stand before the Lord and say, I get it. I'm not very good at driving this car by myself. Be willing to be quiet and hear what he has to say. Be willing to be wrong. Let's pray. Let's seek him tonight, this morning. What time is it? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we're going to seek him this morning. Let's dive in. Let's not leave here unprepared or unresolved in some issue. Let's drive in to what the Holy Spirit is having in this time. And maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you just need to get on your knees somewhere. There'll be some people up here who will pray with you as you seek him. Let's go after the Lord.